Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is Chris Plegenpol, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. Now, if you're brand new uh, and you're just joining us online, we want you to know that we love questions. And uh, what we'd love to do is if you would just text us at the number on the screen, we're going to keep this number up on the screen uh, throughout the day or out the morning, uh, we will respond uh, to that question through the Pastor Plex podcast that we will be posting on sometime in the next week or two, depending on how many questions we get. So uh, super excited about that and a great opportunity for us to grow closer together. Now, this uh, week, we are still in the middle of the series called Gather, Group, Grow, and Go. And if you didn't know, that is the process by which we help people uh, fulfill our purpose statement, which is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And so uh, the first week, we started out with this heart to gather. And if you've been able to gather with us in person, uh, Sunday mornings over at Calvary Worship Center in that big open field, it has been incredible. We just got done doing that uh, over there this morning. It was awesome. And uh, we are going to continue to do that over the next couple weeks. But our ultimate hope is that we either gather in person or online as we're doing right here. And it's very important for the body of believers to be one as we gather. And then uh, last week we took, talked about uh, how we are to group, that uh, we grow best in circles or when we're allowed to kind of look at one each other, look around at one another, and really be involved in each other's lives as opposed to rows, you know, standing there, sitting, listening, taking in. Uh, that is where we find we grow best. But really, we're going to get into what growth is all about today as it's the next step in the process for which we want to help people love God, love people, and make disciples. Now, when I was in seminary, um, can I just get real with you? I was in my 20s and I was sort of just like, does anybody remember being in their 20s or maybe in your 20s now and you have youthful angst and so you're sort of like just frustrated that people aren't getting on board with whatever it is that you're doing? Like right now, if you're, if you're a single person and you're at home and you're in your 20s, you're like, how come the church isn't doing more to help single people in this crazy environment, right? Like there's a reality that you you sort of come to this place where you're looking at all the stuff going wrong, like why isn't anybody, and you want to fix things with the ideas that God, maybe God or maybe you have put in your heart. And I remember that was me in my 20s and just sort of frustrated. And I remember saying this to um, the campus pastor where I was at. I'll never forget this. I was like, you know, I just, I'm just not really getting fed. And here's what was weird about that statement, okay? Now, and what I, mean, what I meant by that was, like, I'm just not getting enough from the church. Uh, they're not doing enough for me in my, like, desire to grow. Which you got to remember, I was in seminary. So Monday through Thursday, I was studying Greek and Hebrew. I was learning soteriology, ecclesiology, eschatology, uh, harmarshali, anthropology, soteriology. I was... Christology. I was learning not just like basics of faith in English. I was learning Greek terms, Hebrew terms. I was in it way deeper than just about anybody. It was kind of like um, staring around at your kitchen full of food going, man, there's just nothing to eat here. And then going down the soup kitchen, it's like, man, why don't you guys have a bare selection of a menu? It was like, I didn't, <laughs> at the time, I remember the, the, the campus pastor looking at me going like, what? It was almost like you're an idiot. And I appreciated that he was really kind with me that, you know, like, don't you understand that where you are and what God's calling you to, it's much bigger than the church being all about you. 
And I think there's this tendency in me, and I'm sure this tendency is in you, to resist Christian growth because we've made it all about us. And I, I came up with a couple reasons why I felt like we do this. We resist Christian growth um, because a billion reasons, but here's three. One, we've moved on from the gospel. Do you guys know what I mean by this? Uh, have you ever, s- someone said to you like, um, do you know what the gospel is? And like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. But I kind of want to move into, you know, more deeper stuff than that. And I think that's where we miss it. We're going to learn about how you never move on from the gospel. That the beauty of the gospel only gets richer and deeper and more powerful the more that in tune with its essence that you truly become. Okay. Second, uh, we resist Christian growth because we've never had anyone help us grow. And many of you, especially young people, have said this. They're like, listen, um, my parents didn't really in- invest in me because that just was weird or awkward or just they weren't even believers. Or um, you've never had another older person come alongside and you said, let me show you how to live this thing out. And so that's foreign to you of what it is to follow. And you're sort of used to sort of pioneering, trying to figure it out and getting frustrated uh, when people aren't like, helping you ascertain what exactly it is you're supposed to be growing towards, okay? I totally get that. And then finally, um, we become entitled, and that's why we resist Christian growth. We're, remember, in a world of participation trophies, in a world where everyone you know, tells you that you're the best and you can do it and all things are for you, we have this tendency to view church as a place where we get our religious goods and services, and like any good restaurant, when they don't provide it to us, we send it back. And the chef goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me provide it for you just the way you like it. And there's this reality that we sort of come to the church expecting that sort of treatment as opposed to being a part of the church to move the mission forward. And so we're going to talk about what it is that God's wanting in and from us and how it is exactly that we grow this morning. And I'm super excited about that. Um, and we're going to be in the, the book of Colossians. And so if you have your Bible, pull open uh, Colossians. I am super pumped about this. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. And um, I know this is going to be shocking. We're going to be looking at primarily one verse and then the next verse that sort of explains that one verse, which you're like, how can you have like an entire 30, 40 minute sermon on one verse? You can if that verse is that awesome. This is like, get your coffee cup out and start writing on it. This is your verse. All right, so we're in Colossians chapter two, and uh, I want you to pray with me uh, so we ask God to illuminate our hearts and our minds to take his word and just ingrain it deep into our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word and for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you speak to me about the goodness of your grace, about all you want to do in and through me, about all in all you want to do in and through everyone watching, everyone whose um, ears uh, take hold of this, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's through an online platform like Twitch or Facebook or YouTube, God, that you would do something globally and individually all at the same time. Let your word not return void and let your power move right through this message. Let me hear it as if I'm on the other side of the screen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Colossians chapter two, Paul writing from prison to the church at Colossae. And this is where he starts in verse six. Now check this out. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
I'm just gonna let mm, that is like mm, that is deep. To which you're like, what else you got? No, no, no. This is it. This this is the verse. You're, so therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And I think there's this reality that I think what happens for us is we move past this and like, what else you got? No, there's got to be something more than, no, 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 this is it. This is how your entire growth in Jesus happens. Do you remember what it was like to receive Jesus as your Savior? Do you, do you remember what that was like for me? It was 1999. Uh, I made a decision for Christ. It was snotty tears. It was like, God, I'm going to forsake all things. I don't care who knows about the, the darkness of my soul, the sins of my past. God, please just take me in your arms. Let me, let me just go and pronounce the whole world the dedication and glorification of who you are. I, I remember it. I remember it. And then what happened is um, over time, I did a thing of hiding. Like all of a sudden, at one point, I was exposed, didn't care who saw my, me in my most wretched state, and all of a sudden I just, I don't know if it was Christianese overcame me or if it was just like, there's this tendency to go back to performance-oriented world. So how in the world do you not do that? How do you, you know, keep yourself not being afraid of man, but just totally focus on what Jesus has done as the gospel goes deeper? Watch this. And verse 7 explains verse 6. Watch this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this, how do we do it? We root and built up in him, established in the faith. So Christian growth is living out gospel identity the same way it was received. Okay. I'm trying to come up with something here that would really wrap how important just the basics of the gospel um, is. Okay, uh, when I was in the army uh, and I was learning the basic offensive techniques as a ranger, there's, there's basically three things that every offensive um, operation involves. It's recon, you know, reconnaissance, reconnaissance missions where you're spying on people. There's raid where you're going to go uh, attack an objective, or ambush, where you're going to attack like a moving convoy or something, right? So that's, those are the basic three, recon, raid, ambush. And we practice those over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Over again, over again, over again. So much so that whenever we went to, when I went to combat, and I was training my men, we, we would work on raid after raid after raid, and we practice room clearing, we practice room clearing, we practice basic uh, how to carry your rifle, how to, I mean, over and over and over again. And we, we were good. We were decent at it. Um, but at one point, I, we were joined by SEAL Team 6. And we were, um, I had, we were going on patrol, and we were going to go take down a house that was a uh, high-value target. And I, I went in accompanied by SEAL Team 6. And as we go in, it was if, and the, the thing about room clearing and, and a, specifically a raid is that the, you're supposed to have your backside or the place where your weapon's not pointed covered by the man with you. And I went in there, and it felt like um, the SEAL team guy that was with me, his, his body was on like a gyroscope because he was so smooth. Away. It was like walking forward, walking backward. It was about the same speed, same pace, same ability. It was unbelievably a gift. And I, after I experienced, it was like, if you could call warfare a work of art, it was like watching that guy on my hip 
guard my backside, but move with me. His, his hip gently touching mine as we kind of press through uh, the house, completely safeguarding my backside, my six. It was unbelievable. And I remember asking him later, I was like, man, where did you guys learn to move like that? And the guy looked at me like, practice. In other words, they practice room clearing, and they practiced raid over and over and over and over again so that they could do complicated insertions via helicopter, via, via halo, high altitude, low opening, parachutes. They could do any sort of thing, and it'd be so gifted and so well done because they practiced the basics over and over and over and over again. And, and here's just what I... <sighs> I want us to see this, is that the gospel is not something you move on from. It's something you look deeper into and start practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing it. Okay, here's where I I recently had someone say to me, you know, listen, when I get to marriage counseling, I need to move on from the gospel and like I need someone to help me. Like I need, listen, I need some pragmatic advice to help my marriage get a little bit better. I remember uh, when someone said that, I kind of giggled because if God has designed humans and there's something wrong with the human condition, then the gospel is the only thing that will transform them and is the only thing that has the ability to save relationship between people. But here's what happens. And this is just for free. And, and, and listen, it's not just marriage. It's I know that, listen, there's single people that are struggling with all sorts of things. But right now, I'm just getting I'm bombarded with a bunch of marriages that are struggling. And, and, and here's, here's why. And here's what people say. They say, Chris, it, when I was single, it was way easier. But now that I'm married, it's, everything got complicated. Everything is so much harder. And you want to know why that is? You want to know why people are delaying getting married or not getting married at all? It's simple because... Um, the relationship is different when you're not married. Here's, how, here's the way it works. Uh, a relationship that's dating is transactional. And here's how you know that. You are like trying out your spouse or you're trying out the person you're dating, right? So it's like, I want to see if you are going to be good enough for me to marry. And, and I'm trying to be good enough for you to accept me. And so we date really different. We talk to each other really nicely. And this is why some people will go beyond physical boundaries that God has put in place so that they might earn love or keep love or something. And it's always this sense of it's got to be amazing. It's got to be ke- like the chemistry. I've got to feel it and I've got to conjure that up somehow. And what happens is when, when a relationship moves from transactional in the dating phase to married, it becomes covenantal. And, it, and you say stuff like this and you don't realize it transforms the relationship. Here's what you say. I promise to be with you, love you in sickness and in health for richer or poorer, for better or for worse. Do you remember when you said that? Like you didn't think it meant anything. You just thought it was words. But no, no. What it means is that when you don't love me, I still love you anyway. And this is why this becomes important because that relationship and any relationship worth anything in this world is covenantal, not transactional. Transactional is the deal you have the cable company that you renegotiate all the time to get a better deal. When you don't provide me the goods and services, I take my uh, money and I go somewhere else. But here it is that's different with your love and in relationship because here's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus 
made a covenant with us. And he came from heaven to earth to a people that had, were in debt, wrecked, broken. And he broke himself, died on the cross for our sin, took the, the punishment, the, the, the absolute wreckage of our souls, and he took on hell for us. And then he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming back. And our hope is, we put our hope in that because when we, he, we love him because he first loved us. He offers us that love and we receive it. And even when, here's the good news, nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's no sin that can separate us from the love of God. Uh, there's no height, no depth, no breadth. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That's covenantal love. Now watch, now watch. You take that kind of love that was in you because of what Jesus has done for you and that death, burial, resurrection on the cross and that continued love for you, and you pour that into your relationship, game changer. And so every uh, counseling session, <laughs> every um, moment where I'm walking somebody through what it is to love and to be loved, we're constantly going back to the gospel because that is what transforms us. <laughs> Because here's what happened. What people sometimes want, just, no, no, give me some communication techniques. Uh, give me some, uh, maybe if I could just get the judge to rule about the custody, then I wouldn't have to deal with that person and we could just co-parent. And all that is just band-aids for the woundedness of your soul that is so wounded that it's in desperate need for Jesus to come and heal. But what happens is we stiff arm Jesus and that covenantal love because in us is that thing of there's no way anybody would love me unconditionally, covenantally. And so we reject it because it seems too good to be true. Or we, we give... Um, a verbal platitude of agreement, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves trying to live out a performance-based. See, until you recognize your sin issue and that your need for Jesus to heal you, you're constantly going to be in. You're constantly going to be just trying to fill up the hole of your soul with other things. Okay, so this isn't about salvation necessarily, but it is, it is. Salvation is when you come to faith in Christ, he transforms you from death to life. But sanctification is constantly being reminded. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus over time. And so what happens is on a daily basis, you're having to die to self. You have to look to Jesus saying, thank you for exposing the darkness of my heart and I need you for today. I need you for Today, I need what you did on that cross to help me overcome the depths of my sin and the darkness of my heart because I was, I'm always drifting back toward performing. I'm always drifting back toward needing to go to a transactional relationship with God and with people. And there's at some point, um, the shame gets eroded and our hurt is healed and all of our weakness becomes strength. That's what Jesus does. Now, I was looking for um, a good illustration for this, and so I kind of, this is one that I've loved probably since seminary, that before Christ, uh, like you're dead, dead in sin, and all of a sudden here, you, you come to faith in Christ, right? You're like, oh, I get it. I'm, I'm a depraved person, but Jesus is righteous, and right here you see the difference of where you are, where Christ is, and it was a big deal, but then the, the longer you go on as a Christian, you start to understand the cross gets a little bit bigger and then a little bit bigger, 
and then a little bit bigger. That's what it is like. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. That's the depth of being rooted, being built up in him, established in the faith. And I think for a lot of us, we've just um, got stuck here and the cross is still real small and we made our performance and our work and our ability the thing that sort of sticks out. Okay, so, so, there, so clearly, like, we get it. It's not about us. And, and this is where you say, well, Chris, I've never had anyone show me that. I mean, like, maybe you heard it once, but there was no one ever to kind of walk you through that. And that's the part that sort of breaks my heart as a pastor because I desperately want you to wrap your head around that truth, and I'd love for it to be modeled for you. In fact, look, go back to verse 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught. Now, in this case, Paul had spent time with the people at Colossae, and, and he modeled it for him. In fact, um, this is what's so cool about this, is in verse uh, of chapter 1, verse 24, this is what's really kind of fun. Uh, he goes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles and the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And some versions say perfect in Christ. It's like complete we're, we're, just, we're teaching, we're admonishing, we're having conversations over and over again so that you might be mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then, and then he kind of reminds us, this is a lot of work. It says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. No, no, look at this. This is really powerful. This is what Paul's doing. He's, he's modeling the gospel. Do you see this? He's struggling, he's working, he's toiling, all his energy. But whose energy is it? It's all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. Here it is. It's Christian growth involves teaching gospel identity and life pattern. And you've got to see it modeled. <laughs> this is tough though, but why is this a struggle? Why would Paul be struggling? This is, I love this because as a pastor, um, sometimes people are like, man, you have a great life. You just work half days on Sunday. It's pretty great. And, and, and yeah, sort of. And the rest of the time, and um, sometimes my wife will say, all you did today was just talk to people. I mean, how hard could it be? And I'm like, really? All right, that's another issue. But here's, what, here's the reality. Watch this, watch this. Here's why this is difficult. People are learning how to be mature to learn how to be mature, at one point you were immature. And so what happens a lot of times when I meet with people, and listen, uh, I've learned something from the other disciple makers at our church. Tony Nelson, for example, has sort of taught me something really good. He gave me some insight. Because what happens is that usually people, after they want to meet with me, uh, they'll, they'll meet with me for a time. And then what happens almost inevitably is that life gets hard and they fall away. And so Tony gave me a great line. I love Tony Nelson. He said, what I do when I sit down with people is I ask them on the front, I go, so um, what do you, how do you want me to respond to you when you don't show up anymore? 
How do you want me to respond to you after I text you and I get like crickets for like a day or two? Do you want me to show up at your house? Um, How do you want me to do this? Because I want you to know there's nothing that you could do that could make me not want to pursue you. But if you don't want the love, I understand that you may not be there at a place where you can accept covenantal love that's coming for you in, in a world of transactional world. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens inevitably with Christians, right? We're immature and we sin. And then all of a sudden, the glory of Jesus, oh my Jesus, I love you, you're so awesome. All of a sudden, we feel all that shame because we started walking, then we stumble, and we're like, people won't accept me anymore, especially the person that's a step ahead of me. They're going to look down on me. And we're like, what are you talking We're just a wreck like you. Of course you're going to stumble. Of course you're going to want to isolate. Of course you want to run away. So just, I already know that's going to happen. So when it does, how do you want me to respond to you? And I thought it was genius. Because what it says, let me model for you covenantal love that you may have never, ever experienced before. Because isn't, isn't your biggest fear, isn't the thing that you struggle with is just being exposed like the, the, the depths of your soul just kind of being la- laid open for everyone to go, oh my gosh, what a mess. And the reality is we're all right there. That's why, remember, remember, as time goes on, we realize how big the cross is. It isn't just like we've arrived, now it's up to me to sort of live it out and gut it out. No, no, the, the longer I'm a Christian, the bigger the cross is, and I'm like so grateful every day. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you've saved me. Just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. And then the fear of man is driven out. The gospel is planted deeper And we need people in our lives to model that, to struggle, to present us mature in Christ. Now, here's just reality here. It's not just words. It's more than that. It's it's trying to um, help somebody with words make the invisible become visible. I, I it's, it's like just this, trust me, there's this incredible kingdom that I want you to experience. Do you trust me? And we're going to walk in it together. I, I, and the fact that people don't get it shouldn't be a shock. It's just like when my kids don't trust me, I shouldn't be personally hurt by it. For example, um, I remember Austin, he was learning to tie his shoes a couple years ago and just would be in tears over it. I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to learn. <laughs> And just through his tears, I said, I promise you, if you don't quit, you're going to learn. Later, uh, now that he's reading, just to throw the book down, lay on the ground, and just like complete exasperations. I'm never going to learn. All you got to do is just not quit. That's how you learn in anything. And that's how you learn the gospel as it penetrates your soul over and over and gets deeper and deeper. That's how the invisible kingdom becomes visible in your life. And so I, I just think that the one thing that people say to me over and over is like, Chris, I'd love to teach people that, but I, I can't do it because they've never done it. And so one of the things that uh, we want to do with our church is, is train people to train people and walk with you through it 
so that you're never alone in this process. In fact, we've got we found eight core identities. There could be a hundred core identities, but we've just kind of landed on eight, eight core identities and life patterns that we want to train over and over and over. Just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in it. And then we want you to train others. And if you're like, Chris, I'd love to do that. I just don't even know where to start. And we're going to talk to you about that. But email james at wellsbranchchurch.com. We would love to help you grow in this relationship with Jesus. Okay, so well, what else is there? You, you, when we talked about there's this kind of reality that we forgot this last part, abounding in thanksgiving. <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean? Well, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and establish in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What is that about? Abounding in thanksgiving is so important because gospel growth is evidenced by abounding in thanksgiving. It's bi-directional. It's obviously going up to Jesus because you're so grateful uh, for what he's done for you. But then it's uh, in a human way that you want to show what God has done through the person that God has used because he's working powerfully through them. And we thank them for it. And, and, and here's what can happen too, and you know this, um, a lot of community group shepherds, community group leaders, disciple makers, they'll get frustrated because people are immature and they isolate, they run away. And of course they're going to do that. And here, you know what? Oh, I learned something recently. Uh, Chuck Layden, who recently passed away, was the executive pastor of Hill Country Bible Church Pflugerville, the, one that, the church that planted us. He said, no one can take advantage of the Lord's servant. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that that the Lord is watching his people and there's never anything you can do that God doesn't see. That's so comforting for me as a pastor, and it should be comforting for you as a person who's involved investing in lives that no one can take advantage of you because the Lord sees everything you do, and you're not working for people. You're working for the Lord, not for men. Okay. In fact, but this is something we need to remember because we forget. We forget to be thankful. Galatians 6.6 6 says, and let the one who has taught the word share all good things with their teacher. The reality is that we inevitably forget because we become entitled. We, we want to be spoon-fed. We want people to do it our way. We want all, we, we, there's a natural tendency for that. And so instead of being grateful for what people do for us, we become critical. And that's hard, right? And so for a lot of you, you've gotten a lot of criticism and you're like, I don't know if I can handle that. And so here's what I want, here's what I need from you uh, p- for people here that are, have been critical with like leadership and just in past be like, I just want you to send them a text say, hey, thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> it would be such a blessing. Do you, do you guys remember um, Jesus, Luke 17? Uh, there's a story of uh, Jesus and the 10 lepers, right? You know, lepers, they're, they're, messed up physically they got a disease that's incurable essentially and they are pretty much a walking plague and if you were a person that had leprosy you were banned from culture you had to socially distance way more than anybody in the coronavirus world it was like you know you had to announce yourself as unclean everywhere you went and these 10 lepers approach jesus and he has compassion on them heals all 10 and one of them comes back gets on their knees and says, thank you, Jesus, worships him. And Jesus is like, where are the other nine? What happened to those guys? Even Jesus had people forget to be thankful with him. And maybe that's where you're at. You're just like, oh, yeah, I guess Jesus has saved me from something great. <laughs> because that's where we're all at, spiritual leprosy. We're all broken to the depths of our core. We're all uh, at a place where um, we are unclean before God. 
And God, in his infinite mercy, sent Jesus, who became unclean and then made us clean so that we might be the righteousness of God. And in that moment, um, our freedom became his bondage and he experienced hell on our behalf. But the good news is that hell couldn't keep him and he is at the right hand of God. Right now, interceding for us right now in the midst of our hurt, heartache, in the midst of moments where we feel like God has forsaken us and he's only saying, no, I've been here the whole time. Open your eyes to what you cannot see and that's me. And so this morning, the the question I want you to kind of get your head around is, will you grow in your gospel identity? Will, Will you take the time to look deeper into what the gospel offers of of this unbelievable freedom and allow the cross to get bigger as you recognize how sick and twisted you really are and how great and holy Jesus is and what he did for you on that cross and allow the cross to get bigger in your life as you break down the barriers of the bondage of, I just, I'm terrified that someone's going to reject me because you've been living in a transactional way most of your life. And you have to untrain that. And you have to be trained in the gospel over and over. The most important person that you preach the gospel to is you. And you've got to do it every single day. And that's why it's so important to have someone come alongside you to remind you of how much you're loved and how much there's nothing that can separate you from his love. And he is passionate about making you see how good and how great he is and how that's being transferred to you as you're being conformed into the image of Jesus. And so, uh, would you, this this morning, would you email us, specifically james at wellsbranchchurch.com. He's our uh, discipleship pastor, and he's going to get connected with you. He wants to walk you through. He wants to get you connected with somebody that's going to get you into a deeper relationship with people that ultimately helps you get a deeper relationship with God. We, that's our whole heart, our whole purpose. We want people to just experience the depth of his love. And one of the ways that we do that is um, through communion. In fact, um, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he, he broke it. said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what he was doing in that moment, he was saying this, your soul was designed to feed on me, Jesus, like your stomach feeds on bread. And this is a symbol of how you'll starve yourself if you don't get into me daily. And your soul will be wrecked and your soul will be empty and you'll go back to that which you knew transactionally and you'll look nothing like the day you were saved. But if you feed on me daily, if I'm your daily bread, then everything changes as the fear slips away as you're covered by his love. That same night, Jesus took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when we go to Jesus and we say, please heal me, we're reminded that he already did. He shed his blood for us. And all we need to do is walk in the moment just as 
we receive Christ Jesus as the Lord. So walk in him. Remember this fact that we're clean. We're completely brand new. And so our hearts abound in thankfulness, not in whininess. Always remember what Jesus did for us on that cross. Now listen, listen. I get it. Life's hard. There, there's a part of you that your life has become grumpy. Your life has become filled with complaining filled with criticism, filled with not a lot of thanksgiving and a whole lot of pessimism. And you wonder why people aren't thrilled and happy campers to hang around you. Because you've forgotten what it was like to be saved from the depth of hell and darkness and be brought into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That, my friends, is what's worth celebrating. That is what's worth living for. And so this morning, as we go to a time of communion, um, if you're not a Christian, my heart for you is that you would say, Jesus I believe you died on the cross for my sin and I've been living transactionally. I've been holding stuff against people. I've I've been trying to perform my way. I've sort of looked at my good deeds and said, I'm good enough. You should like me. And God, I realize I'm a wreck and on my best day, I want to want to do the right thing for the right reason. I need you. I cannot save myself. Help. And he'll come running that cross, as you see him take your place, as you see him go to the grave, you see him be raised from the dead, and just we await for him to come. You believe that, your soul is at rest every day. And maybe you're a Christian, and you believe that at one time, but listen, pandemics are hard, people are hard, relationships are hard at work, at home, at school, on social media, and just the angst, the anger, and the negativity has been beating you down, and you're sort of like, I don't want to grow. I just want to be left alone. I want to challenge you to step back into the light because there's no judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Come on. Let's do this. So we're going to take a time to pray, and I want you to pray with me. I want you to just take your heart and lay it out before the Lord. We're going to take 30 seconds of just like silence for a second, and we're going to ask God, would you heal me? And then we're going to take communion together. So we're going to pray, take the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to worship. God, thank you. You saved me from my sin and from the heartbreak of where my life was headed. You redeemed me and you loved me in spite of me. You found me at a point of just wrecking people's souls and just not even knowing right from wrong, up or down, good from evil. And God, you saved me and you changed me and you gave me a heart to see the the wickedness that I have, but the greatness of you and how you're making me more like your son and how big and how huge that cross is. Lord, would you continue to use that in my life? And Father, I'm praying that for somebody watching today, for the first time, they might grab the cross and say, it's all I got. Thank you, Jesus. God, I'm praying for someone here who's listening, watching, hearing, and maybe just going, oh yeah, I've got stained. I've gotten calloused by the world and I've been inoculated to how the power of the gospel because I've just been so hurt, so wounded, so transactional. God, I'm praying that that person will let the scales fall from their eyes and let the invisible become visible as they take 
Lord's Supper and experience it with you. But before we do, God, we're going to take a moment to confess our sin before you and just take 30 seconds to bring it before your throne that we might be healed. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a moment to confess before we take the Lord's Supper. Thank you.